where we are spending time these days. Galatians chapter 3. So find that place in your Bible or on your phone or your iPad or whatever the vehicle is that you're using today. And if you need a Bible today, you got out without that, and we can help you. Uh, Ron in the back would be glad to supply you with a copy of God's Word for this time. There is a little note page in your bulletin, if you wouldn't mind. Pull that out because we'll be referring to several other verses and passages and they're printed there on that page. So that's really why that's helpful. And while you're kind of getting yourself situated, let me just share with you something about Lisa and me that I am pretty sure none of you know about. Now, it's not some deep secret, so don't, I don't want to disappoint you, but I'm pretty sure you don't know about this. And this, the, the thing that you don't know is that Lisa and I both enjoy watching professional golf on television. <laughs> Therefore, it's out there. I've said it. I've shared it. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of applauses. <laughs> you know, there was a time in my life when I would never, ever have thought of doing such a thing. That would have been like watching grass grow in my world. But <laughs> So it tells you something about me in that way. Um, and, and neither Lisa and I play golf. I, I was given a set of golf clubs many, many years ago, and I occasionally get invited. About once every three to four years, someone will invite me to play golf, but I really don't want to talk about that part of, <laughs> of my experience. But Lisa and I do enjoy watching pro golf. And what's nice about pro golf is that nobody's going to get killed while you're watching that, or things aren't going to get blown up and all of that. And what's really cool that is that a typical pro golf tournament lasts for four days. It starts on a Thursday, and it will end on a Sunday, typically. And one thing that I have noticed as an armchair spectator is that, that and this happens every single time, at the end of day three of the tournament, at the end of the third round, the TV commentators will make absolutely sure that they get some time uh, interviewing the player who is in the lead going into the final round. Whoever's at the top of the leaderboard, they're going to interview that, that golfer. And every time, every single time, there will be one question that is always asked, and the same answer will be given by the player who's interviewed, no matter who it is. What are you going to do as you head into the final round tomorrow, Rory or, or Jordan or Phil or whatever? What's your plan? What's your strategy going into the championship round tomorrow? Every time the player's answer is the same. Well, I hope to just keep on doing what I've been doing. I plan to stay with what got me here. That's, that's, the, that's the response. I've never heard a single golfer say, well, you know, I plan to totally change up my game. Uh, before tomorrow, I'm going to stay out late tonight. I'm going to eat like there's no tomorrow. I'm going to get a brand new set of clubs I've never played with. And I think I'll fire my caddy. <laughs> never, ever heard a player respond uh, at the end of day three in the lead with that response. I plan to stay with what got me here. I'm going to keep doing what got me here. And we totally get that. Right, And we totally understand there's a huge payday for the player that can stay in the zone and continues to do what put them in that position to be the champion. Now, you're thinking, what in the world does that have to do with anything in the letter to the Galatians where your Bible is now open to chapter 3? Well, actually, it has plenty to do with that 
Because in this new section of verses that come into view for us today, which is chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, will strongly and repeatedly appeal to these new Christians who live in Galatia to do what the pro golfer does, only to do it in the far more serious and important arena of salvation truth. Stay with what got you into a personal saving relationship with God. Keep doing what got you to God. Don't let anyone trick you into changing the way that you relate, the way that you do life in the Lord. That's the message of this passage that we're going to share. Let me allow, allow me to read it for us. You follow along in your Bible. First five verses, Galatians chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? Who has fooled you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And we'll stop right there. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, the author of these these words, to come into our, our midst and just unpack them for us. We will We will be good students. We will pay attention. We'll keep ourselves focused. But we'll ask you to be our teacher and bring your truth to life. Not so that we just hear it with our ears, but we live it out with our lives. Amen and amen. Now, uh, remember again, and this will be most helpful for those who maybe haven't been with us, but remember again what it is that prompts Paul to, to write like this, even to the point of saying, oh, foolish Galatians in verse 1, or, or are you so foolish in verse 3? What, what would bring that out of Paul? Well, the answer is that these Galatian Christians are under a very serious threat, we have come to learn. They are in serious spiritual danger, and Paul is deeply concerned for them and for their spiritual future. They're, they're like his spiritual children. He helped lead them to faith in Jesus. And, and so he's like a mother bear who's, who's looking out for her cubs. And if you remember, after Paul and Barnabas had, had brought the true gospel of salvation to the Galatian region of Asia Minor, the true gospel, which again, if you remember, is who Jesus is and what he has done appropriated into my life by God's grace through my faith in Jesus' cross. Nothing else. Jesus plus what? Nothing equals everything. Boy, we've really gotten that. So after that, after his delivery of that message to these Galatian um, people and some having believed, Jewish false teachers have come in. They're called Judaizers. They come in behind Paul and they start teaching these new Christians that they need more than Jesus to be in a right relationship with God. They needed to essentially adopt a a Jewish lifestyle, though they were not Jewish. They must obey all the rules of the Mosaic law in the Old Testament. And and so a Judaizer would say, oh, of course you need Jesus, but, but, but you need to add the law of Moses to him, or you are truly not accepted and loved and really saved by God. 
And the Galatians, sadly, were buying into this works-based approach to God, this, this legalism saves uh, message. And this sort of message will always, as we know, find uh, appeal to our old fallen sin nature because we do uh, or, or are naturally attracted to wanting to have a part to play in our salvation. We want to somehow... Uh, be part of earning it uh, or meriting it in some way. God accepted me because I, I did certain things or maybe I avoided doing certain things. And this was the, the Judaizers' message and it fell on these baby Christians' ears. People that Paul had introduced to God through the Jesus plus nothing else true gospel. And for these new believers, this message from the Judaizers had a credible ring to it. And so this letter that Paul writes under the inspiration of God's spirit is, is his effort to call the Galatians back to the true gospel that they had once so eagerly embraced. In chapter 1 and verse 6, if you have your Bible open, take a look. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, not by works that you do, but by the pure grace of God, you were called into a relationship and you're now turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Make it Jesus plus other things. In chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says, We know that a person is not justified, pronounced not guilty and fully righteous before a holy God. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You read these words and it is impossible to miss the passion that Paul has for the true gospel message, right? I mean, it just comes pouring out. And you can also catch the passion that he feels in his heart for the Galatians who are under threat of abandoning the Jesus plus nothing true gospel. So now, having laid down true salvation doctrine, which is impossible to miss here. What Paul does next in chapters 3 and 4 is demonstrate why Jesus plus nothing is true. And he's going to do that in two ways. First, in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3, which will be our, our section for today, he's going to take the Galatians essentially down memory lane. And he's going to remind them. He's going to ask them to think back on how they came to faith in Jesus. He's going to ask them to go back and remember how they got into Jesus and what will keep them in relationship with him. He'll he'll, he'll challenge them to to, to stay with what got them there. Saving faith plus nothing else. And then after that, from 3.6 all the way to the end of chapter 4, Paul will use the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, to show the Galatians that it has only ever been by faith that someone is saved. And, and that's been true going all the way back, Paul will show us, all the way back to God's relationship with Abraham. It is not the good works uh, that you do, but the fact that you put your faith in Jesus. Now, now, good works do have a place to 
and a role to play in our Christian life. And Paul would say, absolutely, you, you want to be thinking about that very much. But good works in your life, fellow Christian, are only ever an expression of a sinner's grateful heart for what God has already done. Are we agreed on that? Amen. You bet. Yeah. The overflow of a, of a heart that's been first transformed by faith in Jesus and his cross and the salvation that comes through that. Our good works flow out of that truth, never out of, out of um, our desire to try to earn God's approval and win his salvation by being a good person or doing good things. So, so good works are never the means of our salvation. They are the expression of our gratitude for being saved by Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's, let's get into verses 1 through 5 as Paul calls the Galatians to remember five details about their own salvation story. He's going to, again, call them back, take them down memory lane, if you will, to remember their beginnings. Apparently, under the influence of the smooth-talking Judaizers, the Galatians had forgotten how they had gotten into God, if you will, and what will keep them in that relationship. It was faith. Not rules, not good works. So on your note page, Paul says, remember this. Remember first how your eyes were opened. Chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Don't you remember that? He says, when Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians, He's not trying to put them down. He's not trying to make them feel small. What he says here, he says, I believe in kind of the tone that would be a combination of love mixed with surprise. It's like he's saying, oh, you, you, you dear, dear knuckleheads. <laughs> I, I, really, I, that's exactly how you would want to read that. You, you dear, dear knuckleheads, the very way that you became Christians, part of God's family, is the way that you're going to go on into the incredible freedom that is yours in Jesus. But look at you. You're exchanging what got you here, faith, for something else. Your own self-effort, your own good works. Who has bewitched you? Who has fooled you? Who tricked you? Well, of course, Paul know who, knows who it was. It was the Judaizers, and there were many of them circulating in this area of Galatia. But it's really interesting here that he purposely uses the singular for who and not the plural in this moment. You wouldn't know that in your English translation, but that is the case. And I want to point that out to us because the truth is that behind these false teachers, these Judaizers, Paul understands that... This is really the activity first of the first liar. It's the activity of the first God-hater, who is Satan himself. You bet. Satan is called the, the deceiving spirit, and Jesus calls him the father of lies. And so Paul can sense that his dear friends in Galatia are in a, in a deadly spiritual battle where salvation and how one is saved is on the table, and Satan is behind this lie. It's, it, he's trying to distort the true gospel, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, distorted into Jesus plus other things. Well, the source of that is always going to be from the archenemy, our archenemy, who is Satan. And so that's why you got the singular there for who. 
Oh, you dear, dear, foolish Galatians. Use your heads now and remember. Think back to when I was with you and how your eyes were opened. I was, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now we read this word and, and it, it's kind of maybe odd to us to think about this because the Galatians lived very far away from Judea and from Jerusalem and from the place where Jesus died on a cross. These Galatians never had seen Jesus, and they certainly didn't see his crucifixion. And yet Paul says, before your very eyes, Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, why would he say this this way, asking them to remember that? The words publicly portrayed translates the Greek word prographo. It's a word that was used when someone would post an important official notice on a placard in the marketplace or in some other public location for all the citizens to read. We actually get our word graphic or or, or graphically from this word prographo. So Paul says, remember now, remember I came to your towns and and I didn't just throw out a, a bunch of spiritual principles for you to live by. And I sure didn't tell you to obey a bunch of rules to make yourself acceptable to God. Very publicly, I graphically showed you, I graphically and and vividly conveyed to you the story of Jesus, who he is and what he did, dying for you and paying your sin debt by his death on the cross. Those Galatians who stopped long enough to, to listen to Paul when he was proclaiming this message could, could almost hear him because he was a skilled speaker. They could almost hear Paul as he described Jesus' crucifixion. They could hear the, the ringing of the hammer as, as the nails were driven into Jesus' hands and feet. They, they may have been able to visualize the, the blood flowing from the, 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 the thorn-pierced brow or, or his back, which had been laid open by the, the whip. And, 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 and they winced as they heard Paul uh, say, that Je- say the words of Jesus when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he, as he in that moment assumed the world's sin and became sin for us. They could see the face of Jesus as, as Paul described him saying with strength and power, it is finished. And then bowing his head and breathing his last. Paul says, remember, before your very eyes, Jesus died. In other words, the eyes of your heart were opened and the death of Jesus became personal to you. Do you remember that moment, he's saying? What Paul described about Jesus was, was internalized. It was, it was no longer facts out there. It was something that meant something to me. His suffering was actually for me. His, his anguish was on my account. His cries were caused by me and they were for me and his death was in my place. And Paul says, do you remember before your very eyes Jesus died? Your eyes were opened. And Paul's asking them to remember that moment. And we know that this is what Paul is is asking the Galatians to remember because in the opening chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1 and verse 18, which is there on your note page, by the way, Paul uses a very similar expression to the one he uses here. 
as he tells the Ephesians how he prays for them. Carefully look at what he says. I pray that the what? The eyes of your heart will be enlightened. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be opened. And that's what Paul is saying here to the Galatians. Remember the moment when your eyes, the eyes of your heart were opened and you believed. I graphically presented the story of Jesus, his coming and his dying. And when I did that, something happened deep down inside of you, deep in the hearts of some of you. Your spiritual eyes were opened to the true gospel that it is Jesus and what he has done for you and not what you do for him that saves you. Do you remember that? Dear, dear foolish Galatians, use your heads. Remember how you got into salvation. It was all Jesus. And we say what? Amen, because that's still how we get into God, don't we? Sadly, so many people in our culture, and even more sad, some who have gone to church for for many years, depending on the church that they've attended, they only see Christianity as the rules, as the the, the, the things you must do, the, the, the rules you must keep in order to be saved. That's their understanting of Christianity. That's all they've ever been told. Do this and this and this, and, and, and maybe God will want you, you know? They miss the point of the true gospel. And so before we go on, let's just take a moment here and think about this, because this is really, really important. Have the eyes of your heart, your heart, have the eyes of your heart been opened to the true gospel? Oh, that's a sigh of relief for sure for me. <laughs> yes, right? Have the eyes of your heart been opened to the death of Jesus for you? Yes. And you remember that. You remember that. You know, someone might say, you know, for as long as I can recall, I, I, I've known about Jesus' cross but I don't know if I've ever seen it the way that you're describing it right now as being for me personally. I always knew Jesus died for sinners, but I I don't know if I've ever connected it to myself in that personal kind of a way. When Jesus is graphically portrayed before your eyes, the Spirit of God is trying to help you see with your heart the beauty of Jesus' death for you on your behalf. It's one thing to say, I I know I'm a sinner. It's an entirely different thing to say, I'm a sinner that Jesus loved and died for. Do you see the difference? It's one thing to say, I know I do bad things. It's another thing entirely to say, I know that Jesus 2,000 years ago on a cross died for all the things I've done that hurt God. I know. There's an entirely different thing there. We can tell the difference. It's the difference, for example, between looking at a a sumptuous banquet table that's spread out in front of us here. Let's just say there was a a 12-foot-long table, and it was so covered with, with delicious food you can't even see the table. And we're looking at it, but that's all we get to do. 
We just get to look at it. We never get to taste it. When the eyes of your heart are opened to the cross of Jesus, you're not just looking at it. You're tasting it, right? You're tasting the cross. You feel it. You experience the personal nature of it. The cross sinks into you. It's for you. Jesus came for you. He is yours. And more importantly, you belong to Jesus when your eyes are opened. Jesus graphically prepared to the eyes of your heart. Has that happened for you? If it hasn't happened, today could be the day. Dear foolish Galatians, stay with what got you to God. Jesus plus nothing. Remember that. And then Paul says next in verse 2, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a rhetorical question, isn't it? In other words, remember how you came to have this, this, this living God living inside of you. Did, did you do a bunch of rules? Did you, did, you, did you follow a bunch of laws? Or did you simply trust Jesus and his cross? How did the Spirit of God come into your life? There's only one way that, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes into our life, and that is by what? By faith alone, not works. Now, this is Paul's very first mention of the Holy Spirit in this letter. And he does not intend in this moment to go into any detail about the third person of the Trinity. He's not going to discuss with us the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and and how he helps us to live the Christian life. Uh, He'll go into all of that a little bit later in the letter. And so we're going to save that for the time when we get to that. Paul simply wants the Galatians here now to recall how the Spirit of God became part of their life, God living in them. Was it legalistic rule-keeping, good, good works, your human effort that brought the Holy Spirit into your life, or was it your faith in the cross of Jesus alone? The cross. Remember that. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and the cross of Jesus, they, they cannot be separated. At no time before we experience salvation... Can a person have the Holy Spirit of God? Would you agree with that? And then would you also agree that at no time after salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, can you not have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. On your note page, Paul writes the Ephesian Christians again. And early on in that letter, he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, In him, that is in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, who Jesus is, what he has done, appropriated into your life by God's grace through faith. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and then what's next? And believed in him. There it is. Faith alone in Jesus alone. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his Glory, Man, you talk about two loaded verses. Those, those, these verses are packed. The word guarantee, it's an interesting word in this passage. Originally, this word referred to a, a down payment or an earnest money that was given by a person who was intending to make a purchase. The down payment was the guarantee that the rest of the money was going to be coming. 
God gives us, this verse, these verses say, God gives us the Holy Spirit upon confession of faith in Jesus alone, gives us the Holy Spirit among other things to assure us that all that he has promised to us, we are going to get. How cool is that? Holy Spirit's the promise. In modern Greek, uh, there's a form of this word uh, guarantee that is used to describe an engagement ring. If we were to go to Greece and go to a jewelry store, they would show us engagement rings and they would have this word guarantee attached to them. The Holy Spirit, if you think about this, the Holy Spirit is the believer's God-given guarantee that as part of Jesus' church, as part of the bride of Christ, we're going to one day participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb. How cool is that? The Holy Spirit is our engagement ring, if you want to think about it that way, our wedding ring in a manner of speaking. Fellow Christian, the Holy Spirit living in us is the most unmistakable evidence that we have that we belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that all the rest is coming. Jesus said that he would not leave us as orphans when he returned to heaven. He would send his spirit to live in us. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't even belong to Christ. And 8.16 there on your note page says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. 1 John 4.13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his what? His spirit as the guarantee, as the down payment. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 at the bottom of your page. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Not rules. Not law. Freedom. Brothers, sisters in Jesus, this is why it is, it is ridiculous, I believe, to, to maintain as some sincere Christians do and some sincere Christian groups do that the full indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit has, uh, comes upon you as a result of doing other things. That you don't get all of the Spirit when you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There are groups that teach that. And I would submit to you that that is just a Judaizer's message repackaged for today. Introducing special conditions, special requirements that, that a Christian must do in order to, to get a second anointing or a, a greater fullness or, or speaking in tongues or, or some other special blessing that you have to do other things to get that part of God's spirit. I believe that that's, that, that's heresy. I don't find that in scripture. Not everybody agrees with me, which is okay. All of that, in my, from my perspective, is adding things that we can do to what Jesus has already done and could only have done. A person who does not have the full spirit of God through faith in Jesus alone does not need a second blessing. They need Jesus. Because when you get Jesus, you get all of the Spirit. Every true believer in Galatia has received the Holy Spirit. All of him. The moment that they trusted Jesus as Savior. Don't you remember, Paul says, that you received the Spirit by hearing with faith. 
How then can you be duped by the Judaizers into thinking that he came to you or he will come to you in some fuller way as you work and make it happen yourself? Ridiculous. Stay with what got you to God. And then if you flip your page over, Paul says in verse 3, Are you so foolish? There's that word again, kind of like a velvet-covered hammer, right? You dear, dear knuckleheads. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Just think about this, says Paul. Remember the way that you have grown since coming to faith in Jesus. Remember how your growth in Christ has happened. It's not been by following dutifully a a bunch of rules and traditions and customs and laws handed down over the centuries. That's not how you've grown in Jesus. It's been by the Holy Spirit working in you, whom you received by faith. How could you think that your weak, imperfect, still sinful flesh could improve on what the divine Spirit of God began in you when you first believed? You are in grave danger, drifting from from what got you in to salvation. Grace through faith in Jesus alone. Now you're trying to rely on yourself to get more? Ridiculous. Remember the words of Philippians 1.6? Many of you, I'm sure, have memorized this very precious verse. Some people, it's their life verse. Philippians 1.6, how does it read? I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you, he who got it started, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What a great, great verse to have hidden in your heart. The word completion here, it is exactly the same word that Paul uses in verse 3 of chapter 3 of Galatians. It is God by his spirit who began the salvation work in you, says Paul, who will also grow you up in it. What he starts, he what? Finishes. We can't make that growth happen, but the Holy Spirit living inside of us can make it happen. And he does every day. Check out Romans chapter 8. It's there on your, on your note page. Kind of Paul expands on this truth. Verse, uh, verses 1 through 4 of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation, no divine sentence of punishment hanging over the heads of those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen and amen? What a glorious declaration. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh or rules, but according to the what? The spirit. Could it be any more clear? Paul's saying to the Galatians and he's saying to us that that rather than embarking on a self-improvement, self-completion program, which is what the Judaizers were promoting, Paul says live in full reliance and full dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You started with him, finish with him. Stay with what got you to God. Now, before we move on and, and wrap all this up, I think you would agree with me, fellow Christian, that one of the most common failures, if I can use that word, uh, 
that we experience in our spiritual journey and our growth into a deeper walk with our God is our failure to realize consistently just who it is who lives inside of us and what he brings to the table. We do not think about this. We do not ponder the thought that the God of the universe resides inside of each one of us who have put our faith in Jesus alone. I don't think about that all that often, do you? Do you think about that all the time? No, we don't do that. And it's one of our great failures, failings because just, just imagine what your day would look like if you could constantly pull up the truth. God, you're living in here. You're not just out there. You're here. F- Friday morning, this past Friday morning, unprompted by me in any way and, and, and having no idea where we might actually be this morning or what I would be talking about this morning, Lisa texted me on my phone um, and she texted me to tell me where she had been in her quiet time earlier that morning. And this was not a surprise to me because we do this for one another frequently and just as an encouragement to each other. And, and we'll text verses or the place we've been hanging out that morning. So it wasn't a surprise. So on Friday morning, here's what she texted with me, and it just kind of knocked me off my feet because I knew where we were going. Here's what she writes. Big thoughts this morning. See Ephesians 3.20. The very same spirit at work throughout the ages in the lives of all the saints is who lives in us, she says, exclamation point to me. Such knowledge is too high. I cannot attain to it. That's what she writes to me. The very same spirit who has resided in the lives of all the saints through all the ages, Tim, lives in us today. And she just wanted to encourage me, help me remember that. I love that. The very same spirit, says Paul to the Galatians, is at work in you. He lives in you and he's at work in you to grow you up. That power is in you. Reminds me of a moment out of J.R.R. Tolkien's trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. How many Lord of the Rings fans might we have here? Got a few, don't we? I know we do. Now, if you don't know, the, the, the main character, the hero in the story of the Lord of the Rings is a little hobbit by the name of Frodo. And he has an uncle named Bilbo who is much older and has been on many different adventures. Before Frodo goes on his first great adventure, the one in which he will actually save the world, Bilbo gives him a very special gift. It's a garment made of a metal called Mithril. Mithril, see, we've got some, so we've got some died in the wool Lord of the Ringers. Mithril. Now, now Bilbo doesn't explain anything about this garment. He just tells Frodo to put it on, and so he says, "Okay," and he, and he puts it on. Now, what Frodo doesn't know is that this garment was was almost like a a, a bulletproof vest on steroids. He puts it on underneath all of his old clothes. Where is it? Right next to his skin. No one else knows that he has it on. One day in the story, he's walking along, and one of his companions says to another companion, uh, they have a conversation, and Frodo overhears the conversation. 
And Tolkien writes, Bilbo was a very rich man, says one. In fact, I want you to know that Bilbo, in spite of how rich he was, had one thing that was actually worth more than everything else he owned. Many years ago, he was given a mithril coat. Now, in Tolkien's imaginary world, mithril is the most valuable, most beautiful, and the most strong and precious metal there was. It was a thousand times more valuable than gold or silver because it was a hundred times stronger and a and hundred times lighter, and it was more beautiful than either gold or silver. So this one companion saying to the other companion that Bilbo has this mithril coat, and the other companion says, What? An entire coat made of mithril? Do you know how much that's worth? That would be worth more than all of the property in Bilbo's entire country. And Frodo's walking along, and he just hears this. And he's wearing the mithril coat. And Tolkien says uh, that, that Frodo staggered when he heard these words. Staggered at the thought that under his old clothes, he was walking around wearing something that was more valuable than an entire country. Now, do you know what, fellow Christian? Underneath, right now, every lover of Jesus, underneath your garments made of flesh, you are walking around with within you something that is worth more and is more powerful than the entire universe. Do you ever think about that? <laughs> It's not an exaggerated statement for effect in this moment. This is the way it is. Frodo staggered uh, at the thought of the value of the mithril coat. Are we ever staggered by the truth that the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, inside of us? We were given to God through faith in Christ and God gives us his spirit to live inside of us who is worth more and is more powerful than the universe. Paul urges his friends, remember this. In fact, in verse 4, he says, remember all that you have experienced. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain, he asks. Now, suffer is really, I I don't believe, is really the, 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 the best word here. In fact, the English Standard Version, which many of you carry, actually offers a better rendering as the alternative to the word suffer here using the word experience. Since the context doesn't suggest anything about suffering or hardships, it seems best to use that word. So Paul asks, have you experienced, Galatians, have you experienced so many incredible things simply by faith in Jesus that you would now say it was for nothing and I've got to start doing this and this and this to win my way into God's favor. Have you learned nothing at all from your encounter with Jesus? Can't you think things through and see that the the claims of the Judaizers can't possibly square with the true gospel that you have been taught and that you have experienced personally? Stay with what got you to God. And then as he wraps all this up, One more rhetorical question. Verse 5. Does he, that is, does God the Father, the Lord of glory, who supplies the Spirit to you 
and works miracles among you by this very same spirit, does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What's the only answer? Hearing with faith, yes. Paul's point is that the only source of spiritual power in any person's life comes from God and we grow in that spiritual power exactly the same way that we received it in the first place, by faith. Never by trying to do or be something for God. Earning his favor or his kindness, it's always by faith. Jesus plus nothing. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, believers again, they're on your page. Notice what he says, Ephesians 1. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who work really hard. Huh? Who believe, yes? Yes, the Galatians didn't receive spiritual power by getting their life together. They didn't receive spiritual power by trying real hard. And they, they, they sure didn't receive salvation and spiritual power by getting into a Jewish mindset and trying to live like a Jew. Much to the disappointment of the Judaizers, I'm sure. They and we receive spiritual power to live for God now and for eternity through our faith in the Lord Jesus whose death on the cross was for us personally. For you and for me. His death was graphically portrayed to us and our spiritual eyes were opened and we began to realize, oh man, the greatest sin I can commit is to try to make myself acceptable to God. I can never do that. And I don't have to. I now see that I am as acceptable to God as I could ever be, not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus has already done for me. That's the true gospel. Oh, foolish Galatians, my dear, dear knuckleheads, the secret of spiritual power in your life is right where it has always been, through faith in Jesus plus nothing. Stay with what got you to God. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, the author of these words, how we thank you for challenging us today. We, we, hear, we hear these things, and they're not necessarily new to us, but oh, to hear them again and again and again, we need that. So thank you today for the reminders that we need to stay, stay with what God has to you which is Jesus alone, faith in Jesus. And for that one or more than one who may have come through our doors today uh, under the, the lie that somehow they must earn your approval, Lord, I pray that you would just destroy that lie in this moment, that you would take that person from works to faith. And if you be here this morning and you have been trying hard to to get into God's goodness, goodness, His relationship with Him, life with Him. 
I would just ask you to drop all that. Put your faith in Jesus alone. He's opened your eyes. He showed you that he loved you by dying for you. Let him die for you. And love him from here on out. And if we can help you grow in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to do that. Just let us know how we can do that. For those of us who know you, Lord Jesus, may we do what uh, this message this morning has challenged us to do. Stay with what's got us in. Living in the power of your spirit and out of great love for you because of what you've already done. Jesus plus nothing. And we say thank you, thank you, thank you. And all God's people say amen and amen. Let's stand together.